You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me this week, as much as he does right now, every other week during the offseason, is Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SCC and his site readandreaction.com and also joined by he is joining us once again we got the trio together bill sykes joins us uh can't find him on twitter anymore uh but uh he lives on the uh on the message boards out there that's where you can find bill but hey will we, we're getting back and this time this time uh, it's all three of us well we got we got to give bill some crap from time to time so it's good to have him on and uh you know we're, the, the nice part is we get to hear all of his opinions you know even even though other people don't so this gives him an opportunity in a forum to, to now tell everybody what he's been percolating on for the last couple of months yeah i'm just glad to be back on here with you guys I mean, we don't you know with you being up in the uh the arctic circle up there we don't really get to hang out so this is this is all i got man and then dave's over there and across town in mandra doing his thing and you know, so it's our little meeting spot. Well, I'll be down there soon enough, man. Coming down for the spring game, and uh, you know, hopefully more during the season if I can. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I think my schedule is finally slowing down a little bit after this weekend. So, Bill, we will uh, we'll have, we have to hit that barbecue up. Yeah, we're we'll gonna have a debate: Mission Barbecue versus uh, Woodpeckers, right? Uh, Mojos for me. Mojos. Okay. Well, we got one of those too. So. Yeah. Yeah, we'll that- do it, man. So what have you been doing, Bill? Oh, fishing and working and fishing and working and hanging out with the fam and repeating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wearing my arm out, you know, roasting in the sun. You can, but, you, I can tell the sun got the best of you today with some sunglasses on. Yeah, and the fish got the best of me too because I caught like nothing. <laughs> it was crazy though. Seriously, I was up in up here in Jacksonville and Cedar river and saw a giant school of koi fish. Somebody had let go in the river. So it's weird here, man. All right. Spring game football talk coming up soon. Also some recruiting news out there. Anthony Richardson back in the fold for the Gators. But before we get there, remember you can find Gators breakdown on news jacks.com slash Gators breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators breakdown episodes as well as articles from the news for Jack sports team. Also, catch us on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Spotify, and when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, look ahead to Saturday and the Orange and Blue debut. And Mullen has mentioned, you know, this is a showcase for the players. And based on last year's game, that's just exactly what we're going to get. Uh, he said today in a, in a press conference, quote, it's a festival weekend on campus and the game is part of the festivities. We get to go have some fun while we're out there too, in the quote. So 
Of course, the, the competition, the battles, and the previous 14 practices will be rewarded with a showcase for an uh, event for the players. That is not to say there won't be some football thrown in there. There are uh, you know, players that will see this as one more opportunity to assert themselves, and uh, there will be some teachable moments uh, as well. We'll get to see the coaches uh, – uh, you know what they want to do in some certain spots. Can the offensive line uh, block this type of defensive front? Can wide receivers beat this type of coverage? Can defensive backs cover certain routes? Uh, we know there's going to be no game plan in this setting, but uh, a few teachable moments uh, might be out there. So, so what will we get on Saturday, guys? You know, what do we want to see? Uh, I'll start us off here. First of all, you know, I'm going to be having some fun doing some tailgating first and foremost. So uh, everything else will take care of itself. After that, uh, but uh, here we go. Of course, broad strokes, no injuries. I think that's the uh, most important factor uh, coming Saturday. Get out of the spring game with little to no injuries. Looks like there's been no major injuries so far this spring, and that needs to continue on Saturday. But as far as the offense goes, you know, I think they'll set up something to where uh, there's some success so the, the quarterbacks can be you know, accurate. You know, can the quarterbacks be accurate with the time they'll be given? Uh, but there, there may be some sometimes when we see the offensive line get manhandled by the defensive line that has been lately led by to Daryl Slayton and Zachary Carter. Uh, and for a player like Carter, uh, this, you know, that hasn't had a chance to show much in front of a, a crowd, a large game setting, he may look at this as a chance to show out. And if he brings it like he has this last couple of weeks of practice, then there'll be times where this offense sputters. But you know, even, those, even in those situations, they'll allow the quarterback to, to continue the play after it would be sacked. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the things that I'm really looking for are the starting lineups. So who's going to play, who's going to – you know, last year they, they didn't show a whole lot during the spring game, but one of the things we did see is that the starting offensive line, the starting defensive line were the guys who started the year. Um, I'll be interested to see on deep throws, do they actually give the receivers a chance? There were a lot of plays last year where Frank's overthrew his wide receivers on deep throws. I'm interested to see whether he and Emory Jones and even Kyle Trask are going to maybe give, the, give those guys a shot to go get those balls as opposed to maybe trying to make a perfect throw out there. And then who's the backup quarterback? That's sort of maybe um, – you know, the intrigue isn't necessarily Frank's. We all know he's going to be the starter at this point, at least coming out of the spring. Um, the question is, is it going to be Emory Jones? Is it going to be Kyle Trask? Who gets the majority of those, the majority of those snaps? Yeah, you know, I think we're all kind of looking for the same things. You're number one of the injuries. We talked about that. Um, and you mentioned quarterback offensive line. I think it's going to be assumed the defense is going to be pretty good. And I, I certainly do. Um, as far as the quarterbacks are concerned, you know, I, I am at expecting absolutely nothing from Franks. He might not take that serious. I mean, they know he's the guy. I don't think we should expect to see some step forward for him. For me, at the quarterback position, I'm, I'm looking to see maybe Emory Jones. Does he look like he's taken um, a step forward in the passing game and look like he's progressing a little bit? And, and even then, I, I understand it's a spring game, but uh, I, I would like to see where he looks less like a freshman this year. Um as far as the offensive line, though, that's probably my number one concern. I mean, you talk about having eight guys that you can kind of roll into battle with. Well, Florida has like nine guys coming back total that aren't freshmen. I mean, just generally on the roster, not, uh, not including Tanner Rowell, who's moving up from defensive line. Uh, so they're an injury or two away from having a true freshman in the lineup. So I want to see those guys get out of there healthy. Um, and I do want to see the – the true freshmen, just how they hold up at the point of attack. I don't expect them to be good. I do expect them to, to look like freshmen going up against a good defensive front. Uh, but do they just look like they can physically step in and play, or do they look kind of like Kadeem Telford did a few years ago when he just kind of got 
physically evaporated, you know, when he got in the spring game. So that's what I'm watching for. Yeah, I mean, and we've seen flashes of of White and Tarquin out there in these open practices and, and, and reports from the scrimmage. Uh, there are some flashes there for, from the true yeah. freshmen, and yeah, I, I kind of agree. And you know, it is what we heard from the first scrimmage, you know, and and the one that was open to the media is, hey, they were working on the passing game a lot. You could tell that that's what needs the most work. You know, they, they have a running game led by LaMichael Pirine. I think they know what they also have in Malik Davis and Damian Pierce and Iverson Clement as well. I think they know what they have in the running game. So it's just going to be another opportunity where they kind of showcase the, the passing game and, and get that starting five offensive linemen, uh, even more reps in, in the passing game where we know that's probably where they need to help. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think everybody's going to be looking at the offensive line. I, I think really sort of the freshmen are the area where I'd focus on in there. I mean, I, I think, you know, the five guys who are starting, we've heard a lot about them. The second team, we've also heard that they've really been struggling quite a bit. And so, you know, one of the things that's cool about the spring game is you go back and forth between the first team and the second team on offense. So we'll get to sort of see the contrast of those two different units. And it'll be interesting to see how they handle different stunts, different blitzes, things like that. Because as, as much as they like to keep things vanilla in these types of games, um, clearly from, from the experience last year. I, I do think that Grantham's going to dial up a couple of blitzes. It's going to be interesting to see how the offensive line holds up. Yeah, and you know, as much as I am watching, you know, the physicality and just the physical readiness of the freshmen, um, I want to see the tackles not being turnstiled. I at least want to see them slowing people down on the edge with, you know, that DeLance and, um, and Forsyth um, and Garage. I want to see those guys at least holding their own. I know we're not going to see a whole lot, um, but this is a unit that lost a lot of starts. I think out of the like 64 total starts for the starting five, they lost 51 of those in the four players that left. You've got Buchanan coming back on the interior, um, but the only guy who started a game outside of Buchanan that's coming back, it's Forsyth. And so, you know, how are they going to be? I just think it's a lot of production to lose, and, and, and I think Gator fans should temper their expectations, especially early on in the season as they try to get their sea legs under them and, and develop some cohesiveness as a unit. Um, I'm just hoping to see just some functional play on an individual level from those guys on the edge. And the thing is, I don't want to throw away if this defensive line has a good performance because, to me, you got to start somewhere. So, you know, right. if you know if Zachary Carter comes in and, and lives up to the billing that he's had the last couple of weeks – I still think that's a good sign. Andrew Chatfield, another young player, if he comes in like he has in what we've heard the last couple, at what we heard and seen the last couple of weeks, if he comes in here and, and plays well, as, you know, I don't, I don't want to completely dismiss if the defensive line has some success and kind of just blame it on the offensive line not being up to to to, to speed. Because first of all, we know that to be a a factor in Todd Grantham's defense. So, you know, is, is an attacking defensive line, some playmakers. So you know, do we get to see Jonathan Grenard, who is a transfer we haven't got to see uh, in, in this setting? Do we get to see uh, more of him? We, I, I think Florida knows what they kind of – Todd Grantham knows and what he's done so far this spring, kind of know what they have in him and Jabari Zuniga and Schuler. So, you know, that is, this is where another setting where Zachary Carter can continue to make a name for himself in spring and Chatfield and hopefully – even though it is against the probably overmatched offensive line, hopefully something that translates to something in the fall. Well, and I don't know that we should necessarily just 
acquiesce that it's going to be an overmatched offensive line. I mean, yeah. you know, we we know what Grenard and we know what Schuler and we know what Taniga can do, but these are SEC football players. These are high level guys who have been brought in. Some of them by McElwain, but some of them by by uh, Mullen last year. They've been in Hevesy's system for a year at least, and and so you know we should expect that these guys are going to be able to step in. That's what they've been preparing to do. So it's not as if Mullen didn't see this coming a year ago. I mean, we know he did because we saw how many offensive linemen <laughs> he brought in on the recruiting trail, but that also means they had to be preparing these guys. And I think you did see that towards the end of the year where Blake and Banks and and those guys got into the games against Idaho, against Florida State. In games where it was a blowout, those guys were playing and getting them a little bit of playing time. So, you know, it, this isn't going to be – like the game against Miami isn't going to be the first time these guys have ever been on the field mm-hmm. with a big crowd. It's just going to be the first time they've been on the field when it's 0-0. And so, yes, there's going, there are going to be some mistakes and there are going to be some things they need to correct and some things that inexperience just cause over time. But, I mean, they're SEC football players. So, I, I, you know, it's, it's not something where we should sit here and, you know, I would, not, I would be disappointed if, if it turned out that the offensive line were just turnstiles on things where it wasn't like unique blitzes and different things like that. I mean, obviously, if you get beat on a stunt, it's a lot different than if you just get beat one-on-one. And so, again, I think sort of those one-on-one battles will be key. And, you know, I, I expect them to be able to win some against against Florida's defensive line, even though the defensive line is really good. Yeah, and I want to clarify my remarks, too, because I, I do expect a step back. And, again, I expect it to be more so early on uh, because these guys really haven't played a lot of snaps together. Uh, but – I do think they could be pretty good. And I, I think that the fact that you've got Banks coming back uh, and, and these other guys that, that got significant playing time, they, yes, they lost a lot of starts, as I mentioned before, but Banks played in 12 games last year. Heggie played in nine and had injuries. Buchanan, you know, you got a starter back there who started 12 games. Uh, for, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced Forsyth or Forsyth's name. He, he played in 13 games. So they do have guys, like you said, coming back that are seasoned SEC weathered football players. And I think it's a real tribute to to the job that Mullen and, and Hevesy are doing there. The fact that they just lost four starters, yet they've got eight or nine guys coming back to the team and they're ready to step up and play football. I mean, if you look at what Florida has endured over the last 10 years at that position, that has just not often been the case. And they, they finally have what looks like a functioning SEC offensive line that does need to replace a lot of production. But the pieces are there. I think another point that's interesting, how, how much do we see of a player like Malik Davis who hasn't necessarily uh, – through, uh, throughout spring, I don't think he's been limited whatsoever. We know the injury history, uh, but in this setting, I think you know you don't want P. Ryan getting a lot of the carries here. So you know, I think we may see Malik Davis uh, may, maybe on a run count, but I think we'll see a, a good bit of him, Damian Pierce as well, Iverson Clement, some walk-ons as well. Um, but – I think kind of going to your point, Bill, of, of what we may see early in the season, uh, just because of the lack of experience right now, just may just be because uh, Florida's loaded at running back and, you know, running and attacking as an offensive line. It's a little easier than uh, getting the pass, the, the, the passing part of the uh, offensive line down. Yeah, I think so. And I think when you add a player, like Malik Davis, if he returns to his 2017 form, where you know he averaged 6.7 yards a carry and just was lethal at times, and if you put him in the stable there with a guy like Pierce and, and the contrast that provides, if they can you know get that 
that line of scrimmage moving and take these guys where they want to go. They may not have to blow them off the ball. Zone runs, create those gaps, and and really keep the defenses off balance between the, the style of running back they can throw up at people. And you've got Franks, you know, and we keep saying that that term that Mullen threw out there, willing runner. They can come at them in the ground game from a lot of angles, and I think have some early success, even if they're not, you know, top of the line, SEC offensive line early on. Uh, and that could really come into play and be a benefit to them facing off against Miami early in the season. Yeah, but I think this is one thing that we shouldn't necessarily expect in the spring game is that the offensive line's at a little bit of a disadvantage just because the quarterback really isn't a threat to run mm. in this particular <laughs> game, or at least you're not allowed to hit him. So, so you know, really in the Florida State game and the Michigan game, Franks was a willing runner, even in the South Carolina game, was a willing runner, but he was a really effective runner, especially against Michigan and against Florida State. I mean, there were big chunk plays where he was getting first downs. You could see Burns, the defensive end for Florida State in particular, not knowing whether to collapse on the running back or to stay with Franks on some of their read option plays. You're not necessarily going to have that in the spring game, especially while Franks is in there, so the defensive line can cheat a little bit. Um, so again, I think if you see some some runs that maybe don't look as, as cohesive as you might like them to in this game, a lot of that will probably be caused by the fact that they can't really run their entire offense um, if they're trying to protect the quarterback. Yeah, the main thing I want to see as far as Malik Davis is concerned, I just want to see him cutting with authority and see healthy legs. You know, because, again, we don't we don't need to see necessarily their, their plan of attack. I, I just want to see that the guy's out there running with authority and that he's not another year away from being 100%. That's what I'm hoping to see. Yeah going, by, yeah, going back to Will's point, the open practice I, uh, I was at, I did see a little more quarterback running than than what I thought. I don't think we'll see it that that much Saturday either uh, with Franks. Now the backups, Emory. I, I do think we'll see Jalen Jones uh, use his legs a good bit. He's kind of excelled there. A uh, really smooth runner from what we've uh, uh, seen so far. I think we may if we see the quarterback running, it will come later on uh, as one of the Jones uh, are, are back there uh, and can show what they can do. Uh, as far as wide receivers go, uh, not much. Maybe just uh, as Will alluded to. Uh, last year where the, the spring uh, Franks couldn't hit downfield passes. I kind of, we saw that rear its head during the season uh, as well. Some good things so far uh, that we've heard throughout spring, especially Tyree Cleveland down the field uh, as of late. So maybe some wide receivers getting some passes down the field. And that kind of won't leads me to where I want to see defense too. It's how early enrollee Chris Steele handles himself started out kind of hot, um, kind of had some freshman moments <laughs> as of late. Uh, and also, but Dean and Huggins uh, at the star, getting some good reviews there from both of those guys and filling in uh, for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson there. So I think now we can maybe see uh, just how deep Florida's getting that cornerback, and especially in that star role where now we see Dean and Huggins, two guys who can maybe fill in that role and even as to the versatility of this defensive uh, back group where if you want to go line Dean up at cornerback a little bit if he has to, uh, he can do it there. And, and and Huggins, maybe the star, switch him from star and safety where the two roles he can play. So versatility uh, is rearing its head where Florida finds some depth at the star position. Yeah, you know, we've talked a lot about the interchangeable parts, the fact that Bernie has has moved up to linebacker, at least in some capacity, but still retains some of his coverage skills. I'm interested to see Donovan Steiner at safety a little bit. Um, I know there's been some discussion of some of the other safeties out there, but he was really solid last year. And so, you know, is it how much... Um, how much of the being the quarterback of the defense is he sort of stepping into his upperclassman years where, um, you know, making sure people are in the right place because there's a lot of youth out there and making sure those guys are lined up correctly, making sure they're in the right place and having somebody on the back end who can really make sure that that, you know, the small plays don't turn into big ones, even if there is a mistake that's made by some of the youth. I mean, you know, 
I, I think Trey Dean's going to be excellent in the star position. I think Huggins may be as well. But Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's a really good player. And so anytime you're replacing a guy like that, you expect there to be at least some drop-off, especially early in the season. So um, I'm excited to see – uh, again, that sort of goes back to what I said at, right at the jump, which was, you know, just who are the starters going to be going out there? Who's earned the playing time during spring practice? I'm interested to see that in, on the back end of the defense. Anything, Bill? No, I, I got to be honest, man. I, I'm really wanting to see these young pass rushers. I, I, I'm, as much as I love watching some of these these DBs play, and I think Florida's going to be very good back there, and I, I'm super excited about Bernie. Um, he, you know, I've been high on him for a long time, and I think the guy's going to be a first-round pick. Um, I want to see some heat off the edge, and I want to see uh, Chatfield get after it and Diabate and those guys. I don't mean to hijack and go to another position, but I just I'm, no, those no. are the guys that like I keep thinking about on that defense. I'm like, man, Florida's got some pieces there that that Grantham can really have some fun with, and and I'm excited about seeing those guys. Yeah, I think the one more thing throwing Bernie's name in there is you know how he how he how does he handle the run? Can he be physical in the run game if they're going to line him up closer to the line of scrimmage? Can he be that more physical, imposing go you know headhunter type uh, to go in there and get you know get? Uh, I, I don't, he'll have no problem getting uh, you know dirty uh, getting in there, but you know does he have the size to kind of kind of stand up to the poundings over and over again? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think we'll see that in the spring game, but something uh, I think to keep that keep an eye on if uh, Florida wants to run the ball a little bit Saturday is how how Mari Bernie handles the run game uh, at that linebacker uh, position. Any more thoughts, guys, before I get to uh, what some of our listeners had to say? Um, yeah, you mentioned the FSU game. Uh, I did a little math, and uh, just for our Noel friends out there, they announced a um, a spring game attendance last year of fifty three thousand sixteen. And I figured up that if Taggart's buyout is twenty five million dollars, and they passed a plate at their game and had that same attendance, they would only have to contribute four hundred and seventy one dollars to fifty six cents a piece to get him out of there. <laughs> Not that we want you to do that. I'm just trying to be a stand-up guy and help you out with some math there. Yeah, that's I'm, what not, I do. I'm not contributing to that to, at all. No. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll pay toward the bonus to keep it there. But I'm just saying, just in the name of uh, good sportsmanship, that's what you got to do if you want him out there. <laughs> they can say what they want to. There weren't even that many people at the game. Yeah, that number, <laughs> went, up, that number went up quite a bit this weekend there, Bill. Yeah, I'm sure. Because <laughs> everybody wants to turn out and watch that guy. <laughs> Do something. <laughs> All right, here we go. Scott Sweat sends in uh, not so much how, how much, not sure how much you can tell from a spring game, but I'm watching for potential leaders and a look in their eyes that says championship. I think this year could be pretty special if they all buy in and the upperclassmen lead the way. Uh, Ali Perry says, I would like to see if they actually let the quarterbacks run the ball. I know it's spring being safe uh, is all good, but it truly does open up everything uh, for the skill players. Yeah, we kind of, uh, hit, hit on that. Uh, he says, uh, good to have uh, Bill back, five-star nerds back. Thanks, Gator Dave and Will, for all you do. Um, let's see, a couple more thoughts here. Um, uh, Swaby Swayan says, I want to see what improvements Felipe Franks has made. Wouldn't mind seeing Copeland with some catches. Also, how if the secondary can hang with our wide receivers. Uh, yeah, I'll kind of hit on that, too. I don't think we'll see Jacob Copeland much, if at all, since he hasn't uh, – uh, taking part at all uh, this spring. Guys, I got a question that kind of bears there. Uh, any worry there from Copeland not lining up at all this spring? I know, Will, you and I talked about it a couple weeks ago. I think we probably thought eventually he would get on the field at some point this spring, but not uh, – has it been out there yet? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, there's always concern when you've got somebody who's a high-level recruit who isn't getting out there. And and it's not as if this is one of McIlwain's recruits. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Antonius Clayton transferred. And so you can sort of understand that because that's one of McIlwain's recruits and he hasn't really gotten on the field under either McIlwain or the Mullen regime. But but when you look at somebody like Copeland, he's somebody that Mullen brought in, um, somebody that he's got a relationship with. And so you would expect to see him out there sometime soon, um, if nothing else, on special teams, right? Get those high-level guys out there who have a lot of athletic ability out there on special teams, helping them return kicks, block kicks, those sorts of things. So, um, you know, you, you can't miss on those guys on a regular basis. And so you hope he gets out there soon and that we see some of the things that that were pretty obvious on the high school tape when you were looking at him. Yeah, and he's not just a recruit from, uh, you know, McElwain. No, forgive me, Mullen. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not McElwain. We love you. All right. Uh, You're done. You're done. <laughs> Show's Kick over. Him out of here. Kick him off, Dave. <laughs> I'm like actually like sincerely sorry about that. I feel terrible. Anyway, uh, Copeland was, was the highest rated recruit in Mullen's transition class. Um, and, and, you know, Watkins, the Justin Watkins, the fourth highest rated was already out of the class due to some off the field stuff. So, you know, you can take a hit if, if Copeland is having a problem that's going to linger around with it beyond the, off the field or injury or whatever, whatever's going on there. And you do have to worry because the guy's explosive and he's a difference maker. And he's a guy that can, can attack the perimeter and add a dynamic to that offense that it could, it's just one more thing and one, one more way you can win ball games. I mean, he could be the difference in a game or two a year. So yeah, I'm concerned until, until proven otherwise, he's just absent. And, and the longer that goes on, the more you have to wonder what's going on. And I just, I hope whatever it is, he gets back and, and I'd like to see him back. Yeah, to that point, you know, I have said he's not really needed this year for as deep as Florida is. That wide receiver needed much more uh, next year when they lose all these all these seniors and uh, guys who will probably be leaving early at wide receiver. But uh, yeah, as you said, Bill, you know, there's one or two games where, and as Will's point too, if he's on special teams, he goes blocks a punt in a big game or uh, returns a, a punt where you know he has the ability to do that. You know, maybe at wide receiver he's not necessarily needed, but uh, he could line up somewhere on the field uh, and, and be. Uh, a difference maker. Last few thoughts here. A uh, common theme. Uh, I'd like to see more explosive plays. Uh, this is from, let's see, uh, Nicholas Goldsmith. Uh, I'd like to see more explosive plays and down the field deep throws with accuracy in order for this to happen. Offensive line has to show improvement. Um, uh, R. Keener 316. I would like to see serious devotement to technique and competition. All from uh, all from all of our players, but mostly I just want to see our offensive line and quarterback perform. For me, Frank's improvements in offensive line play that comes from South Florida. Don, uh, Michael S, uh, Mike Sheaves, 03 says offensive line play to me. That's the group I'm most worried about until they settle in. So guys, we definitely hit with it. Probably one of the, it was definitely the first group we talked about, but everybody shares it with us. This offensive line, uh, a lot of, a lot of fans in the stands and, uh, Hey, look, the game's not even on TV. You got to stream it this time, but, uh, all the fans that are watching their offensive line, uh, will uh, will be focused in on. Well, I noticed you didn't mention uh, wanting to see a legacy catch a touchdown pass. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. So, so uh, I had I had really different expectations last year, obviously, and so um, you know this year my expectations are I'm going to go down there. My seven year old's coming with me, and me, him, and his grandpa are going to go and watch the game. We're going to have a good time because that's what the spring game is, is for. Obviously, after after last year, that's what they told us, and this year uh, they've told us explicitly beforehand that it's a showcase, and that's fine. Um, you know, la- last year, <laughs> that wasn't what I thought they had told us going in and, and I made my, uh, made myself clear about it. And, you know, those legacy throws, they're fine. Um, 
again, though, I'd rather see the throw to, to Copeland, right? I'd rather see the throw to Van Jefferson. It's just sort of my preference, but you know, Hey, it's, it's, you can't argue with what the coaching staff did last year. And so certainly uh, whatever they did in the spring game seemed to pay off and Hey, more part to them. They get to do what they want. Uh, I vote for throwing touchdown passes to media members. <laughs> Are you down on the field, Dave? Is that is that where this is coming from? No, I'll go be in the stands. Uh, so I got you know friends. You're, you're coming in. I got some other friends coming in uh, for the game. So yeah, it'll be uh, you know just uh, not 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 really a working environment. Uh, I could turn it into one, but uh, you know I'll be working and having fun at the same time. <laughs> if that's possible. So that's a poll you should put up on Twitter. Is which media member do we want to catch one of those touchdowns? Oh, I, I want to see Spurrier come off the edge on a field goal and block it while <laughs> while holding a beer can. <laughs> and we got to see if he can reenact the uh, kick versus Auburn from '66. That's right. Now that actually that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> that was, yeah. Oh man, let's make it happen. There we go. But he's still got to be holding a beer. <laughs> okay. Right, yeah. Coors heavy, right? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> All right, let's move to the world of uh, recruiting and some big news over the weekend for the Gators here. Anthony Richardson, quarterback there, recommits to the Gators. This one was a must-get, especially after the uh, Carson Beck saga of about a month ago after the, after Richardson's co- decommitment. It was uh, you know, it was tough not to see him eventually you know, not ending back up in the orange and blue. Uh, of course, the debate will rage on uh, that he was more of a typical Mullen system fit, and, and now we'll go head-to-head versus Beck while Beck is at Georgia. Uh, so that would be a fun storyline to watch the next few seasons. Another fun aspect of all of this is Richardson will be working with quarterback trainer from here in Jacksonville. Uh, uh, he was on Gators Breakdown uh, discussing the uh, uh, Carson Beck commitment to Georgia. Uh, guest Denny Thompson uh, at six points quarterback training. So another interesting there is Richardson will be training with him. So you will have Anthony Richardson, Carson Beck, FSU quarterback commit Jeff Sims, all working under Denny. Uh, these guys will potentially be around each other a whole lot more. Uh, than they already have been. So, but you know, let's go back. And when Denny was on the podcast when Beck committed to Georgia, and I brought up Richardson, and Denny said, when looking at baseline talent, Richardson is elite. Uh, that's you know, that was basically based enough when when they're at these camps like the Elite Eleven regionals, uh, that he has the most raw talent out of all the quarterbacks. But there is a lot to work on. But he's a big time hard worker. So, you know, back to Richardson, three star quarterback, 488th overall player. In the country, 12th rated dual threat quarterback, 6'3 and a half, 230 pounds, 4'6, 440. Definitely a big threat with his legs. And as I mentioned, uh, we'll be getting you know, some great pa- passing training uh, coming up with Denny. So most scouts uh, have mentioned uh, improvement in his passing game in the last couple of camp settings. So, Bill, I know this is big uh, for you. You know, Gators and, and Mullen are doing something you're a big fan of, and that's getting a quarterback every cycle. Yeah, I think ever since I've been on this show, maybe from the very first time I was on, the phrase you heard me say was arms to camp, get quality arms in camp. And because McIlwain just really wasn't doing it. And um, now there's two sides to this. Uh, first of all, everybody knows that I talk about stars-based recruiting quite a bit. And I want to set that aside uh, with, with Richardson for a little bit for a couple of reasons. First of all, Mullen's already brought uh, in consecutive years blue-chip quarterback prospects. But And actually, there's three reasons. Number two is that I trust – Mullen with quarterbacks. The guy's got a good enough resume for us. If he if he wants to go out and, and bring this guy in, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt of that position. Um, but number three, I think he could end up a blue chip player. 
Uh, it's early in the process, and I want to see what he does this fall. Uh, hopefully, we'll see some development in the passing game. But the guy's got a a, a prototype mullen body style and running game ability. So we'll see. He could end up really climbing the ladder there. And even if he doesn't, I'm I'm going to wait and see because mullen has a way of making uh, some great picks at that position. Um, but to your point, when you look back over the history of Gator football recruiting in the composite era from 2002 on. Early on, between 2002 and 2007, UF signed uh, four five-star quarterbacks, and they had four four-star quarterbacks and a three-star. And then you get to 2008, and Urban somehow doesn't sign a quarterback in 2008. He doesn't sign a quarterback in 2009. 2010, he brings in Trey Burton. 2000, oh, and, and Tyler Murphy. And then, you know, 2011, Driscoll came in with Muschamp and who didn't know how to use him. Uh, but that, to me, coupled with the offensive line numbers they were unable to, to find, really was the the big backbreaker to, to the decade of UF's offense. It's what sent everything down the drain on that side of the football. But now, you know, you've got Felipe Franks, who is starting to play close to a four-star level there. You know, you've got Emory Jones and Jalen Jones went waiting in the wings and Mullen went out and confidently got his guy. And I, I know he wanted back and I, I would I want Mullen to get the guys he wants most. And those tend to be the highest rated players. But he wasted no time, was decisive, got another guy that fits his system. So I'm pretty excited about seeing where, where Richardson goes, not only in the ratings, uh, not only um, on the field this fall as a, as a high school football player, but also what he can do when he gets to Florida. I, I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, part of that too is the the targeting for Richardson never faltered or, you know, was any less, even with going with Beck. You know, Mullen clearly wanted both. Uh is getting one. Uh and you know, Richardson even said coaches were pretty straightforward with him uh during during the whole process. And uh Bill Will, I think there's a there is a lot of potential in, in this big body, you know, in starting with his legs quarterback. Yeah, well, you know, I mean I think there's a lot of a lot of value to, to, like Bill said, bringing in a guy every year because now you've got Franks, you've got Emory Jones, you've got Jalen Jones, now you've got Anthony Richardson. One of those guys hits big as a big-time quarterback prospect and really doesn't matter what the other guy does, right? I mean, the reason Cam Newton had to transfer out is Tim Tebow had his had a stranglehold on the job, and Newton's a damn good player, but he wasn't going to play with, with Tim Tebow in line. So again, you've sort of given yourself more shots at the, at the elite guy if you keep bringing in somebody who fits your system every year. Um, when you look at his high school stats, and again, this is just through his junior year, but 48.6% completion percentage, but over 19 yards per completion. So he's throwing downfield quite a bit, or I'm sorry, 18.2 yards per completion. So he's throwing downfield quite a bit, but from a rushing perspective, 95 rushes for 924 yards, 9.7 yards per rush. So again, that explosion that you're talking about in the running game. And really, you sort of look at that, his his completion percentage and, and his statistics look a lot like Nick Fitzgerald through the air, but he looks like a more explosive guy on the ground. And so, you know, if you've got somebody, the quality of Nick, Nick Fitzgerald under, under center, you're going to do pretty well. So, um, you know, again, I, I think you can look back at, uh, at a lot of guys who've come in as three-star quarterbacks who've succeeded. Um, certainly you want the highest rated guy out there and you want the guy who's going to be a, a program changer. But again, I think what Bill said about trusting Mullen with his evaluations and trusting that Mullen's going to be able to find the things that the quarterback does well and make sure that he emphasizes those. And he showed that last year with Franks and I'm sure he'll show that with Richardson when it's his time to come into the game. Yeah. And the big thing about this and why it's so important 
there's going to be no rush to throw him out there. I mean, you know, France is going to end up this season. Emory Jones, Jalen Jones uh, waiting in the wings. Emory Jones probably takes over there, uh, and we'll see what happens after that. But there will be no rushing Anthony Richardson in. So with this quarterback training that he's going to be getting for the next year or so, going on campus, um, I don't know if he'll be early enrollee or not, but he'll get there. He, he, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be able to sit and learn, and, and not a lot of, of rushing out there. Uh, and kind of, you know, we know Mullen has commented on it many times if uh, maybe Felipe Frank's getting thrown out there well before he's ready. That won't be the case here. No, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, he's got a ton of tools, obviously. I mean, Denny said that, and you can see it when you when you look at, when you look at the film. So, um, you know, how do those tools translate? And I think the speed with which he gets onto the field will be the speed with which he's able to harness those tools. And so, uh, you know, he's going to the right place in terms of a quarterback who who can be molded by somebody. I mean, Mullen has certainly shown a good track record track record with that. And then the other thing is, is that, you know, as the quarterbacks play more and more, eventually the backups that Mullen's going to bring in are going to come in from time to time to protect the quarterback because you don't want your starter running all the time. And so a guy who's explosive back there at the quarterback position to come as a change of pace you know they did it with tebow with leak um he did it a few times at mississippi state with various quarterbacks as well i think chris ralph was somebody who came in and 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 uh spelled tyler russell so you know there are there's a track record of mullen using that backup quarterback to really run when he didn't want to expose his starter to that sort of beating or when the starter wasn't necessarily adept to that and i think that's something that we'll see there will be opportunities for guys like Richardson and Jalen Jones and Emory Jones even to get in the game just because of the skill set that they have that isn't necessarily tied with throwing the ball downfield. Hey, well, I agree with all points, uh, but one point of correction, Cam Newton transferred because he had computer problems, if you remember. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. (laughs) All right, guys, in in a bit of a surprise on Sunday, uh, the Gators get a commit uh, in the form of Texas cornerback Avery Helm. Uh, tall, rangy cornerback, 6'2", 170, offers from uh, Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, LSU, Tennessee, and more. Uh, basically a top 300 player as a 304th overall recruit, uh, number 26 cornerback for the 2020 class. Uh, the move at cornerback seems to be out there to get the taller, bigger cornerbacks. Uh, in his highlights, you can see him going up and fighting for the ball. Uh, look, here we go. Ninth commit and seventh, uh, uh, seventh four-star of the 2020 class. Uh, that is currently ranked fifth in the country. But uh, there, there does seem to be a clear trend of going to get the bigger body cornerbacks. Uh, and Fred Davis probably any moment now will be, uh, looks like, committing to Clemson. So, you know, Florida loses out on the cornerback there from the Jacksonville area uh, there. But uh, d- does does get to basically, I won't say necessarily fill it in, uh, but uh, you're probably not bringing in many after you got Elam, Steele, Hill, uh, Kimbrough last cycle. Probably, you know, two cornerbacks. Around uh, around this class, Gators already have one in uh, Avery Helm. Yeah, for me, the you know the big takeaway with with, with Helm is just that if if you're going to take players that aren't your Fred Davis types, especially at this point in the cycle, it's just good to see their quality prospects uh, from a rating standpoint. You you don't have the McElwainian, you know, taking just some guy, <laughs> you know, from wherever. I mean, it, there's a, a pretty good quality here. I mean, the lowest rated player in the class right now is 493 and, uh, and Helm was kind of right in the middle of that at 304, like you said. And, and uh, he's got, he's got some good offers. I'm not sure, you know, where he could have really committed to. Uh, he's got Alabama and Auburn listed to on there, but like you said, he's, he's got that, that, that frame to be um, a guy that, that wins those 50, 50 
uh, 50 ball battles and, and, uh, and, and again, he's, he's coming into a pretty loaded, uh, or following a loaded class last year. So it's, it's nice to add another quality piece there. Yeah, but I think it's also an it's an acknowledgement that some of these guys are going to be leaving, right? So, so they've been bringing in corners over the last few years. But guys like Marco Wilson, if he plays well, guys like C.J. Henderson, um, and then you know next year, guys like Dean and Bernie. I mean, those are um, you know the expectation I think as a corner at Florida is it, it, you're three years and gone, and so uh, you know they're going to need to replenish those guys on a regular basis, and this is part of that. I mean, again, I think anytime you can bring in a blue chip pro, blue chip prospect, it's it's a it's a good thing to do. Obviously, in Texas, he's playing against high level competition, and so again, going out of state, it's it's something that um, you know we've been critical of, and I think they do need to lock down the area around around Gainesville maybe a little bit more. But you know, if you can bring in guys who are high level from different parts of the country, you know, you got to go do it. Yeah, uh, much like Jadon Hill coming from uh, the last cycle, he is coming off an ACL injury. I believe he got injured in the state playoffs. Uh, so, you know, probably not much going on right now on the field. Uh, we'll see how he recovers this fall uh, as he plays there. Uh, but coming off an injury there, um, so we'll kind of see uh, how, how it all shakes out. But as I mentioned, uh, part of the 2020 class that is currently ranked fifth uh, in, in the country. So, all right, Bill. Uh, one reason you coming on the show, of course, you know, many out there appreciate your knowledge uh, and, and the research of, of trends in the world of recruiting. So, you know, I'll ask while we're looking at this 2020 class, what is your ideal scenario and, and what that means for competing for the check for uh, for championships? Well, I think you said it. I, I think it's to follow the path that others have followed to to set themselves up to win championships, because when we look now at you know, 18, 19 classes of um, composite rankings history, there's some very strong correlations between those championship teams and, and what they do in recruiting. Uh, and while there's a couple of different ways to get there, like you, you've got your your Alabamas of the world. Um, and again, I'm talking about winning the SEC, not the national championship is just something I, I think it's just too lofty a goal. I think you want to put yourself in position and that goes through Atlanta. Um, but when we look at conference championship, champions, you have your Alabamas of the world that, that build those five-star laden teams and, uh, and Kirby smart kind of did that on the back half of their four year cycle. Uh, Florida kind of did that in 2008. And then you got your cam Newton led 2010 Auburn's that are kind of the exceptions to rule where you have the dominant quarterbacks uh, of the world, but there's, um, there's five or six different categories that I've identified for people out there that want to know, um, okay, are we making progress to kind of get back on, on that track? Think of it like, uh, when you're watching the Olympics and the guys like running or speed skating or swimming and they show you that record pace. Well, think of it. There's a championship pace out there in, in about five or six different categories where Florida's just not on it. And they have in some ways made a few steps to get a little closer. And there's some areas where they're just not. So the areas that I've identified will be good things as we go through the process and you can track the progress to meeting these things to say, okay, if, if we check these boxes off, well, then Florida is making real progress to building a championship caliber roster, the roster that resembles those of past champions. And again, it's not all Alabama. And I even omitted the Alabama teams that some people like to do because they recruited so off the charts. Um, you know, just to kind of give you a, a reasonable measure of where UF needs to be. So uh, I guess part of it is, I guess, is is the baseline roster that they have now, you know, is it good enough? And 
Is that, I guess, are you looking at that as well as what they can bring in for the 2020 class? Um, you mean to like to win a championship this year? No, 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 no. Like say, is there a good baseline there? And, you know, probably say, you know, I guess you have to get rid of the class that will graduate uh, and the guys that leave this year. But in combination with what they bring in 2020, are there players on the roster right now that you're teaming up with, with the 2020 class that could say there's a good there, teaming? No, I, I don't see it. Unless they bring in like a Cam Newton type at quarterback that is just that good. Because the only teams that are winning national championships or winning the SEC that aren't just really heavily laden with these elite prospects are your Clemsons, which have elite quarterbacks and they pepper the roster with five stars at defensive line at the offensive skill positions and, um, or Auburn, which did kind of the same thing. They had Cam Newton and they had uh, a handful of other five stars that were big time contributors and Florida's really lacking the elite talent. And so I don't, I don't think they're going to be primed for a championship unless Somebody like, I mean, hey, if Franks turns into some crazy monster on the field this year, then all bets are off. Because, the, and, and while they still just don't have, they don't have any five stars and nobody has won them without five stars, you know, you figure they're going to play three to five teams that, that have more recruited talent than they do. I could see if they get lucky versus Georgia and then maybe Bama stumbles and you end up playing in Auburn for a second time in Atlanta or something like that, then, then who knows, you know, but right now, I mean, if you want to kind of go, you know, point by point on some of these categories, we can do that to, to illustrate why. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you, where, where, where are you starting at? Is it ranked by what the importance is or do you just have bullet points? No, just kind of bullet points. And, and, and again, these aren't absolute. I, I don't ever tell people, what a coach can do. It's not about that. It's just what's likely because the, the fact of the matter is football changes, the game changes and there's innovations and things that, I mean, because you, you never know when the, when Mullen comes up with some new offensive wrinkle that just completely overwhelms defenses and, and is able to offset a talent advantage or disadvantage. I, I'm just saying that based on what we've seen lately, unless he finds that alternative path and, and does have to incorporate some of these talent levels that we can measure historically, then this is probably what he's going to need to do unless he finds it other way. So there's five or six of them here. If you want to run down there, they're just bullet points. There's, it just kind of paints a picture altogether. Go right ahead. All right. Well, the, the first one is, I think this year, what we really need to see to, to say, okay, Florida is closing the gap towards a championship roster. And I, I'd love your input on this would be to land two five stars. Um, and, Florida has not landed one since 2015 when they when they landed um, CC Jefferson and Martez Ivy. Those guys are gone. Um, so this is the first time Florida's ever been without one. Uh, 28 teams, I believe, have signed one since Florida has. And, and just nobody has won the national championship without them. Nobody has won the SEC without them in, in composite history. I mean, literally nobody. And championship teams, even when you take Alabama out of the equation – SEC champion teams over the course of their four years prior to their championship average about 1.8 per year. So it's going to take a few years to get to that level, but to get on that pace this year, Florida needs two because otherwise you're, you're just still not making up the ground. I mean, one would certainly be, don't get me wrong. This is the one of these bullet points where I would be thrilled if they just sign one because that, that monkey needs to be off their back. They've got to break that ice. They've got to get back and showing they can land elite talent. Um, but these are your Tim Tebow, Percy Harvin, 
Cam Newton, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, you name it. This, that's your guys that, that just keep winning Heismans and national championships. Yeah, well, I'll let you jump in here. But if if, if the rankings and the, and the ratings stay they're kind of the same right now, two best five stars Florida's in the running for, of course, running back Demarcus Bowman, and then linebacker Savel Smalls. Uh, maybe Avante Williams gets in that five-star range. Maybe Kevon Lee, another four-star running back out there, gets in there. But as it stands right now, you're looking at Bowman and Smalls. And as far as guys Florida has committed that could really that could maybe jump up there, uh, defensive tackle Gervin Dexter, uh, who everybody loves every time they, they see him in the, in the camp settings and, and, and such. We'll see how he does uh, in his senior season. Jaquavion Frazier's another uh, doubt he you know that he gets up there. Uh, but that's kind of the that's kind of the targets that you're looking at. Leonard Manuel uh, as well, another highly rated four star. I don't think he, um, you know, number 49 player in the nation, maybe sneaks up there uh, in five star status. But I think you know, as far as commits go, I think you know, with the way you kind of hear about the talk of Gervin Dexter and then Bowman and Smalls, that's your best chance for some five stars. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of time before <laughs> before National Signing Day, obviously, and but 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 the recruiting class this year looks a lot more solid than it did at this time last year, certainly. Um, but again, I, I think if we go back and look at the third year recruiting of former Florida coaches, it gives us an idea of of where Florida wants to be. So if you look at Ron Zook, had the number one ranked class, six five stars. Meyer had the number one ranked class, five five stars. Muschamp had the number three ranked class, two five stars. McElwain had the number eleven. 11th ranked class, no five stars. And then Mullen has the fifth ranked class, but he doesn't have any five stars in the class right now. If you look at top 100, Zook had 13, Meyer had 12, Muschamp had six, McElwain had one, and Mullen already has two. So I think we're seeing really sort of the same trend we saw in 2019, which is that Mullen is a better recruiter than McElwain, but isn't necessarily showing the same recruiting chops as Zook and, and Meyer. But, you know, again, like you mentioned, Bill, times change coaching makes a difference and and so you know you don't necessarily have to follow that path but at florida at least the possibility exists to bring in that kind of talent hall particularly in the third year after you've established yourself and and in the case of ron zook you know in the case of urban meyer you could say well he'd won a national championship he should bring in a whole bunch of talent but in the case of ron zook i mean he had basically you know, what was he eight and five again? So, so to bring in that kind of talent hall means that it isn't necessarily just what you've done on the field. Mullen's got that part down. He should be able to sell that very effectively um, after a 10 and three season this year. But, you know, the capability in Florida exists to be able to bring in those kinds of guys and, and he's going to need to do it. So, you know, again, two guys is really, I think kind of the bare minimum when you look at historically um, the types of players who these coaches have brought in everybody, except for McIlwain, that's what they've been able to do. And it is, it is uh, the bare minimum, but I think it's dual. Uh, and I think Seville Smalls is a guy that get, he's getting the right kind of buzz for Florida, even though he's a West coast guy. And and I, Dave, like I mentioned, people were sure. I just want to say this about the Marcus Bowman, and I know that I know that Clemson is getting all the buzz right now, and and he would be a big loss for Florida. He's at Lakeland. He's at Florida's recruiting Alamo. Um, their last true, you know, bastion of getting the guys that they want out of there. Uh, but even if this kid commits to Clemson, I, I don't care about Clemson's. You're not visiting where policy. I don't care that they're coming off the success that they're coming off of. Out-of-state recruiting is tough, and it's why I've gone so nuts about recruiting 2,500 miles away. And let's say this kid commits Clemson this month. 
Well, they're going to have to fend off Florida and all those Gator guys that have all those ties down there for the rest of the cycle. And it wouldn't shock me at all, policy or not, if, if he ended up flipping later on in the, in the process. And heck, that's true of Beck here in Jacksonville. Um, so I think it's very possible that Florida does meet this goal this year, and it would just be huge. All right, Bill, what's your next bullet point? Top 100 players. Uh, Florida needs to sign six this year. I'll just I'll just make this short and sweet. Uh, Compositor SEC champs have signed about 6.2 per year, uh, which gives them about just under 25 uh, over a four-year period that leads up to their champion championships. Well, Florida's only signed 13 over the past four years. Uh, they did, did improve by two uh, by signing four this year. Uh, but if if that's there's going to be four that were signed four years ago, so those are going to roll off that rolling four-year cycle. So to improve that at all, they got to sign five. But if they want to get on that championship pace, they need to sign six this year. Um, that, that's something where they need to pick it up. And, and there's some some targets out there for sure because if they were to sign one or two of those five stars, well, they just got to find two more of the top 100, guys like Kevon Lee, which he might not go there if Bowman does, but um, maybe an Avante Williams or an EJ Smith, somebody like that. Yeah, you got Johnny Brown, who's at 111 right now, right outside of it. Uh, let's see, 89 for Gervin Dexter um, as well. And then, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Leonard Manuel, number 49. So, you know, a good Yeah, they've already got two. They've got Gervin Dexter and Leonard Manuel. So, yeah. with, with this, they just got to find four more. Four more top 100s, and that, that'll be somewhere we can put a feather in the cap and say, you know what, Florida's making up ground recruiting and getting things fixed. Will, you want to jump in? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, we've talked extensively over this offseason. I, I look back at guys who are in the top 100 and how often they wind up in the NFL, and it goes down pretty precipitously. You know, guys who are in the top 15 make the NFL like 80% of the time get drafted. Um, and then, you know, by the time you get out to 100, 115, it's, it's you know, 20% of the time. So those guys in that range between 0 to 100 are really the guys who make or break a program. And so um, I certainly agree with Bill that, uh, that that's a place where you can make up a lot of ground. You know, I mean, we look at five stars, and that's critical. But, but the depth when those guys go down, and again, we sort of talked about it with the quarterbacks, the idea that you get multiple shots at getting a guy who turns into a star because the guy ranked 100 doesn't always turn into a star. But if you have a guy ranked 100 in every single class, chances are one of those four guys or maybe even two of those four guys is going to turn into a really, really good player who's going to help you win games. And so, um, you know, just from a depth perspective and a probability perspective, it becomes important to consistently be bringing in that level of high or, you know, that number of high-level talent, um, you know, every year. Well, the, the next level down is where the good news is, where we can already look at some some marked progress, and that's signing top 250 players. Uh, when we take that next level down and say, okay, well, maybe these aren't the elites, but these are very, very good national prospects that are um, good blue-chip four-star prospects. Well, they need to sign 12 of those this year, and that might seem like a high number, but Mullen did a great job in, in improving this, this number on the roster uh, with the 2019 class, and he signed 10. And that was the most that Florida has signed since the 2013 class. It used to be done with regularity, just really fell to the wayside after that. Uh, so there's already been some marked progress from a Florida perspective. But to get back on that championship pace, uh, SEC champions, like I said, have averaged uh, 12.6 a year. Um, oh, I'm sorry, but that doesn't that includes Bama. If we take Bama out of the equation, if we want to say, let's be a little more reasonable, um, SEC champions – not named Alabama have signed 11.4 for 
six over four years. Well, Florida's sitting at 34. So they're not as off the pace as they are with top 100s or five stars, but they got some ground to make up. And so if we see 12 guys, we see Mullen take another step forward and beefing up with those, uh, I don't want to call them middle of the road. These are still top prospects, but those really, really, really good prospects, if not the, the absolute elite uh, that can add that SEC depth. And those guys, they're going to be stuck. So that, that's what they need to do there. Yeah, we've seen the overall talent level uh, increase, and that kind of speaks to what you're, you know, spoken speaking about here. Especially with two fifty guys, they have increased the talent, or you know, the talent overall in the roster the last couple cycles uh, with those guys. And Bill, with the the, the current commits right now, if you want to go to two fifty, four of the nine uh, are in the top two fifty: Manuel, Dexter, Brown, Frazier. So, uh, yeah, top one hundred, you know. Too, too comfortably inside of it. Like I said, Johnny Brown was 110. So if you want to say three guys in that top 100 range uh, before in the top 250. Yeah, so you're halfway. Well, I'm sorry, not halfway. You're uh, a third of the way there now. Four of the, I think you said four of the uh, current commits are already top 250s. And keep in mind, you've got about 14 spots left. Uh, that they, they've got nine, so you'll probably take around 23-ish or something like that. So you, you just need to see um, eight of those – 13 being that top 250 range. And, and based on Mullen's recruiting, I don't think that's unreasonable to expect. I think he could probably get that done. Um, so, yeah, and that that's where your, your Timothy Smiths come in, your Jalen Rivers, Jalen Carter, Chance Williams, those kind of guys that Florida's sitting in a pretty good position for. Uh, so they, they got a great shot to get that done. Yeah, and I also think we need to sort of set the stage for where Florida is too. If you look at, if you just take the average of the star rankings, the five stars, the four stars, and the three stars, that obviously correlates to winning as well. Um, Georgia has an average score of their players over the last four years of 3.97. Alabama is at 3.94. Then you get to the next tier where Auburn's at 3.62, Florida's at 3.52, Texas A&M is at 3.46, and then it drops down to Tennessee and Mississippi who are 3.35 and 3.30. So Florida's still in the top tier in the SEC in terms of you know when you average out their their star rankings and Mullen has been slowly moving that up over the past couple of years he has definitely been an upgrade on McIlwain in, in that respect um, but again when you look at the guys you're gonna have to compete with there's one in the east and one in the west um, Georgia at 3.97 with 17 five-star recruits Alabama with 3.94 and 14 five-star recruits so you know, even with a couple of those guys leaving a couple of those guys transferring a couple of those guys getting arrested up in Georgia um, you know it, it it's still a significant gap to make up. And, but again, I think when we look at where Florida's recruiting class is this year, we can see that that progress is starting to be made. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, you know, I get into this nerdy stuff, just, I guess the pseudoscience of it. I don't claim to be scientific, you know, but we look at it to say, okay, what does it really take to, to meet these benchmarks? And we talk about it in the context of, of winning the SEC championship. But if you're somebody that's just really happy that, that Gator football was fun this year and, to win 9, 10, 11 games, I think you're going to be very happy if Florida doesn't meet these metrics because Mullen is recruiting very well from a national perspective. We're just talking about getting over the hump and being able to bring the hardware home. Um, so, he, yeah, he, he's going to win a lot of ball games. But this is just stuff aimed at saying what does it take to win the titles. Yeah, as you mentioned earlier, Bill, and Will and I have said it too, it's just it's hard to measure, and you know, even if you try, uh, hard to measure – what Dan Mullen and his coaching acumen brings to the table. Cause there's hardly any way to quantify that. Well, you yeah. know, I certainly tried this off season to do that a little bit <laughs> looking at his, you know, some of the things in terms of, you know, 
how often does he win when he's playing teams that are more talented? He wins more often than his contemporaries do, um, both against more talented teams and less talented teams. And so, you know, his record against AP top 25 at Mississippi State wasn't necessarily great, but it was better than you would expect from somebody who had the talent profile of Mississippi State. Um you know, at, at the same time. So um, I, I don't think there's any doubt that he brings something to the program, but you know, the real, uh, the real rub here is if you go through and you got to play Auburn and LSU and, and Georgia and then Alabama, you know, if the team is more talented than you, you're still probably looking at a 30 or 40% proposition for each of those teams. And the expectation of beating each of those, um, you know, if the, if the probability is 40% for each of those, you're really ending up with a relatively low probability of running the table. It doesn't mean it can't happen because it does from time to time, but it's just, you know, again, what's most likely to happen there, there are some behemoths in the sec that Florida has to deal with. And this is all part of that is building up the talent. And, And like Bill said, I mean, you know, 10 wins and, and Florida being fun, I think is a reasonable expectation for this year based on what we see. And, and, you know, Frank's turns into a, turns into a game winner as opposed to just a game manager, then the team looks, looks even better in that light. Yeah. And before, before you jump in right here, Bill, I mean, if you, if you look at it that way and what we kind of can see from the Florida schedule this year, you know, it doesn't really matter if, uh, if what, what teams have recruited better than Florida or uh, any, or, equal or, or around what Florida has, you know, you'll throw in Auburn, you'll throw in Georgia, you'll throw in LSU, you'll throw in Florida State and Miami as well. And you look at, you know, th- this 12-game schedule, Florida's only going to be underdogs, in, if you look at it right now, in, in in two games right now, if you would pick it. An underdog against Georgia and an underdog uh, when they travel to Baton Rouge. And you might get away with, with losing LSU if you can beat Georgia because maybe they stumble along the way somewhere. I mean, they've got a lot to replace too, so – and that's why I, I may have hinted at it earlier. I, I can see a plausible path to, to Florida being a Cinderella this year and, and winning the conference. I mean, there is a sequence of events. Now, it's still unlikely. There's still certain things on the roster where it would be unprecedented, and it really would. And I, people always come, you know, say, well, you're going to eat your words if Mullen wins a championship. I mean, it, it would be truly remarkable because of what these numbers tell us. And you would, it, and you would proudly eat your words. Yeah, but it wouldn't be. I really wouldn't eat the words. I'd say no. This stuff all matters, and Mullen would have overcome all of it. I mean, it would just be amazing. I mean, he would deserve props. I mean, it doesn't change the facts, you know. Yeah. Uh, you have some more points. On, on, yeah, a couple uh, more here. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of getting away from the individual uh, or the national rankings and stuff. Um, the, the situation in state is a little tough for Florida. They've really gotten hammered for elite talent in the state. They haven't signed a top five prospect in the state of Florida since signing Ivy and uh, Jefferson in 2015. That's four cycles now. That is absolutely not going to work. I I don't care where. um, And and again, unless something amazing happens this year, the long-term prospects of that, you don't have to dominate your state in recruiting. You just have to get your share. But if you, over a course of four years, can't get a single top five player in the most talented state in in America, that's going to be a a problem and a hindrance to even the best coaches. Um, That's got to change. I just want to see one this year. Just one. And that that has officially taken a hit within the last few minutes, Bill, because it is official Fred Davis did commit to Clemson. So the number three overall player in the state of Florida uh, just committed to Clemson. And Bowman, number one player in the state of Florida, as you mentioned, uh, has 
name Clemson, his leader. Uh, Avante Williams is the fifth-rate player. Uh, so you're probably looking at Bowman and Avante Williams as the Gators' best chance if you're looking at top five in the state of Florida. Yeah, but those rankings will shuffle. So we yeah. could see a Dexter or Manuel slip up in there. Um, well, Linda Manuel, look, Manuel's sixth. So right there on the cusp. Okay. Yeah, he's he's right there. And so, again, I you know throughout the cycle, I'm just going to keep an eye on this. And we'll see where, where it's at when the smoke clears. It's just for me um, – and this is kind of sidetrack one more thing, Jacksonville. You know, yep. People talked after the last cycle, oh, well, there weren't enough prospects you know, in Gator-friendly areas. Well, there are this year. And what's going on in Jacksonville right now is just not so great. And, but if they, if Florida can can rebound and land um, the two Oak Leaf kids, that would be a great way to defend the home turf there. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it right now, Gervin Dexter, 11th overall player in the state, commit, committed to Florida. Kayvon Lee, thought to be a Gator lean even after his decommitment, is the 10th-ranked player in the state. Uh, as I mentioned, Leonard Manuel is the 6th-ranked. Monte Williams, fifth rank, and DeMarcus Bowman, uh, first rank. So already a good start, and it could be even better, Will. Yeah, you know, and I think we also need to take a step back and kind of look at where McIlwain left the program and what he's sort of – what Mullen is having to build here. I know we've talked about this a little bit, but the idea that when when Spurrier took over in 1990, Florida was coming off, you know, 6-5, six 6-6, and 7-5, six and 7-5 six, seven and five, seven and five, the four years prior. Not too different than McIlwain. McIlwain had a couple of better years, but then also the Ford 7 season before he got before he got let go. And then Spurrier comes in and they go 9-2, and 10-2, and 9-4, and 11-2, and 10-2. And 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 then went 12 and one, lost to Nebraska in the championship game, and then 12 and one and beat Florida State for the national title. So again, sort of the the long range aspect of things. And when Urban Meyer took over and started winning championships, that was kind of on the heels of Zook really sort of stocking the cabinet, not necessarily winning, but bringing in those elite level talent, you know, the elite level talent that we're talking about. And so, you know, it may just be a, a matter of when you sort of look at the history of the Florida program that you need to, you need to show it first. And then the, the recruits are going to start to come. So, you know, if Mullen can keep winning 10 games a year, I think he's going to, obviously he's not going anywhere, but also if he's winning 10 games a year, I think these guys are going to start to come. Maybe it's just going to take him a little bit longer. And it's a little bit frustrating for people like us who look at this stuff and say, you know, we've seen people turn stuff around in a year, but if you're winning 10 or 11 games a year, um, you're eventually going to get these guys in state to, to want to be Gators because they will have grown up watching Florida win consistently. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, as far as the showing at first, I feel like they've, I, I mean, I get it. I, I hear that a lot. I, I mean, show me some signs of progress though. Show me some signs of, of the capability to be elite recruiters. And, and even if we don't meet these marks, even if they come up shorter to, First of all, show me a little bit of progress in, in some of these measures. Um, but well, you God, could say that you could say they've made a little bit of progress in state. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying they didn't. I'm just saying in, in regard to what Will said about um, you know maybe after they win for a while. Hey, I, I said when he was hired, that was going to be the deal. I want to see a five star <laughs> this year, man. Even if they don't get the two to be on a championship level, I'm sorry. I think one of the North Carolina schools is projected to get one to add that push the list to 29. There is no reason that the University of Florida should be without a five-star prospect for five straight years. Yep. Not even McIlwain went. And again, I understand that nobody knew how horrible he was at the beginning when he landed Jefferson and Ivy. But can we, can we still credit Muschamp for those two? <laughs> I, I'm funny about that, man. And, but the, and I will say this: I mean, McIlwain was a lot of things, but he got those guys. You, you are what your record says you are. And, and and it was only after he showed his repeated gross incompetence in every other aspect of the program, you know, that the bottom really fell out. Uh, although 
I say that their recruiting was pretty awful after those two. There, there were a handful of guys, but I mean, it just it was pretty bad from the start. But I don't know, man. I want to see them put their foot in the ground and saying, hey, that guy, whether that be Bowman or somebody saying he's coming to Florida. Mm-hmm. And if that means that other people around the situation also put it in front of the ground, I'm fine with that too. I mean, they've got to step up to the plate and, and get some of these players if they're going to get where they want to go. And well, I again, say, yeah, I will say it's not a good look when at one point, and you know, I, I contributed this a, a little bit, Beck was considered a lock. At one point, Bowman considered a lock. One already committed to Georgia and one now naming, naming Clemson as leader. May not play out that way, but at one point, high-profile guys that you assume were locked to the Gators. Uh, look, I know everybody says in recruiting there are no such thing as locks, but still, you know, it, that, that thought gets put out there, and it may not work out. Well, and I, I under no circumstances want to say that the, the high-level recruiting isn't important. <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, again, like you said, Bill, you're, you are what your record says you are. I think the recruiting class, at least up until this point this year, has improved based on where oh, the recruiting sure. class was last year. And so you look at that and say progress is being made. Now, you know, is the progress as quick as I would like to see? No, I'd love to see three five-star guys already in the fold. Yeah. But with that not happening, then you got to say, okay, well – you know, he's, I mean, they're not, Mullen's not going anywhere. So what can his coaching acumen do to build the program? And when you look back, you know, Werfel didn't come into the program until what, 92 would have been the year that he was recruited and Spurrier had already been there for three years. And obviously they were winning games, but he was a difference maker. And he's one of the reasons that they were able to win those, win the national championship. And so, you know, again, if Mullins found that guy who can be the difference maker at quarterback, then that gives you an opportunity to really sort of maybe ramp this up once everybody wants to come play with him. So, um, you know, I'm not ready to write it off as as the coaching can't overcome some of these things. But I think, like you said earlier, it, it, the the trends in terms of where Florida has been and where Florida is now mean that it's going to be a hell of a job if Mullen turns this into a championship team this year or next year. And we got to give him credit for that because it means that he's really done an unbelievable job of developing the talent that he has, identifying guys other guys couldn't identify on the trail, and then making sure that they go out there with a game plan that takes advantages that takes advantage of all of their strengths. And that's kind of what I think, how we can look at it with Mullen's history at Mississippi State and everybody pointing to how he won with not as highly ranked players, it deserves the discussion that maybe he can be the guy that doesn't need to do it. The recent trend that we've seen. Yeah, the only issue with that, that is makes you it hard. Have, you, you shouldn't <laughs> have to do that at Florida. Right? Yeah, that, that, that <laughs> that's, is a, the fr- that's the frustrating part. Is you shouldn't yeah. have to do that at Florida. You should be bringing – I mean, you should be drawing that circle around Gainesville that's what, like 200 miles wide and just saying, you know what, we're going to battle with Florida State and Miami on the edge of that circle but you know inside that circle those guys are ours and until that happens it's going to be difficult to have a consistent championship program and you know at least that's what history says but we'll see what mullen can do hey and i agree completely and in no way am i suggesting there's not progress being made hey you know what i I like not only the results we got a top five class right now it's trending in the right direction now it's frustrating seeing the Davis and Bowman and Beck kind of stuff go on and that it's just a little disheartening and it does i think we all agree it makes us wonder well, are they going to be able to get the elites? But still, they got a really solid core early on in this class. And, and yes, improvements being made. And hey, if he can find that way to be that guy that can overcome that dis- discrepancy, well, it's 
it's going to be not only awesome for us, but it's going to piss off all the Georgia boosters who are spending all that money on those recruits because they'll be wasting their money. <laughs> but yeah, man, I, I'm happy with, with where things are going with this 2020 class. And, and, and again, I'm just laying out the, the, the template for what championship recruiting looks like. That's all. Not criticizing Mullen. We didn't talk about it tonight, but man, how great was it hiring Ratliff to the staff? That was a great move for the recruiting effort. Uh, they're making some good moves and, and maybe correcting some some early missteps. Big California recruiting trip coming up soon. Don't get me started, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, all right, Bill, anything else? Well, you know, we've got a couple. I mean, we, we talked about the importance of landing a top oh. five class. Uh, but, I mean, it, it, and I'd like to see him finish third in the SEC like all playoff teams do. But um, I think everybody gets the idea here. It just – we need to see – uh, the elites come in, the top-level prospects. We need to see progress in Florida. Uh, pay attention to Jacksonville, like uh, Blake and Luke have, have talked about over at 24-7. Um, that's a significant battleground for Florida. But, um, you know, it's it's early, it's better, and there's more work to be done. Yeah. Always uh, always fun talking recruiting, Bill. It's uh Twitter, Twitter will miss you, man. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of them do, and a lot of them don't. <laughs> I come with a trigger warning. <laughs> I have to be that buffer sometimes. Yeah, yeah, the human shield. The human shield. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay, man. You know, and, and Avengers assemble. The thing is, is disagreements make us better. It, it, it challenges us, and, and people challenge me all the time. Um, well, and I, I challenge other people all the time. Yeah, I had to tweet that yesterday. It's uh, it's how you handle that. Yeah. So, <laughs> Will, you uh, released an article on Read Reaction uh, today. And uh, it was, uh, I know a hot button topic for you has been quarterback accuracy. How's it translate from high school to college and can it be improved? And uh, it was a big hot button topic uh, for Dan Mullen at press conference last week that uh, caught a lot of people's attention. Yeah, you know, he was talking about uh, ball placement versus completion percentage and which one was the best way of measuring accuracy. So I looked at that a little bit. Um, I, I think I think I agree with him in some capacity. I think I disagree with him in others. But, um, you know, I, I have no doubt that ball placement becomes very, very important when you're trying to teach your quarterbacks the intricacy of the offense. I think, though, when you're trying to predict who the next Heisman Trophy winner is going to be, completion percentage does a pretty good job of, uh, of at least giving you a clue as to whether a guy's going to be a lead or not. And so, um, yeah, people should take a look and see whether they agree with me or not, and we can have that discussion on Twitter that Bill's talking about. <laughs> you guys can. <laughs> oh, Bill, oh, Bill, there's that thought you have a secret Twitter account out there. Yeah, I guess, man. <laughs> I, I don't have I Facebook. I don't. I don't have Facebook. I, say, I don't have Twitter. I, can, I don't have yeah. anything. Obviously, I can definitely say that because you're not in the Twitter DMs anymore. So, yeah. I, and hey, you know, at first there was there was days where I'm like, man, I, I wanted to find out what's going on and talk to Dave and those guys, but I don't. I don't miss it. A text, and, a text, a text would just work. Yeah, you know, it's been good for me. I, I talked to Will about that some off camera. This was a, a good move for me to step back and stuff, and I still post on the message board some. Um, yeah. Just because I have to get people riled up a little bit, but you know that's that's <laughs> it for me. <laughs> uh, Bill, uh, anything else? Uh, if we don't, I, I'm sure we'll get you on before the season. But uh, anything else you're looking forward to, to, to seeing from the team as they kick off? Uh, hey, one week early before uh, everybody else. Um, no, but they better beat Miami. I want I want them to beat them <laughs> into the ground. That's I mean. 
Oh, that's, that's as simple as that. Yeah. As simple as that. Uh, I'm already getting amped up about that one. Will, anything else coming up on Reading Reaction soon? Yeah, yo, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm going to the game with my with my son this weekend. So, uh, you know, there will probably be a little recap of that. Maybe something out there early or late this week talking about what to look for in the game. But, uh, you know, this is just going to be a family weekend for us. So we're going to enjoy it. I'll be part of the family on Sunday because we're, uh, we're we're recording an episode Sunday. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we'll make sure we let the people know what we thought of the game. And uh, um, I'm hoping it's a good time. Yeah, it'll be a good time. Just drink plenty before we go in. <laughs> all right that's will miles you can find him on twitter at will miles scc and the site readingreaction.com uh and bill sykes uh find him on the uh bill where are you where are you posting mostly at right now all the, all the message boards are just swamp 24 7 um yeah swamp 24 7 and also the um the rivals uf site um gators territory, territory. and have even uh visit inside the gators every once in a while i, I kind of make the rounds a little bit and uh just wherever i can find a good scrap <laughs> <laughs> but you know i do want to say this though i think people like don't understand that like i just find it fun and funny and they, they think i'm like you know pretty intense i'm like not i i'm just a nerd that loves debating college football recruiting that's it <laughs> <laughs> I think I think most people know that. Yeah, but there's also some people that don't, and, you know, yeah. whatever. All right, yeah, whatever. All right, that's Bill Sykes. Uh, we'll get him on here, I'm sure, again uh, before the season starts. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdowns.